Today, we're going to be talking about next level customer experience, particularly about using analytics and technology to create personalized experiences. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch. If you're new to the show, what we normally do here is we sit down with leaders in customer and employee experience to tease out core principles and apply those insights to the world of sports and entertainment. Our guest today is Brian Betts, a 22-plus year Disney cast member and a former executive. By trade, Brian is an industrial engineer. Now, typically in sports and entertainment, we don't associate engineering with customer or fan experience, but industrial engineering is a little different. Industrial engineering, or IE, is a study I've been fascinated with since I first learned about it at Disney. So I'm going to give you guys a little background on why IE is important for you to really understand the power of it and the role that it can play within your own organizations. Back when I worked at Disney Institute, we stayed pretty high level in terms of helping with guest service. Everything that we did was really about driving employee behavior by creating training and frameworks that drove those behaviors. And while we got deep within that, that was really one aspect to this larger concept of customer experience. As my network and experience grew within the company... I learned there was a whole other side to designing incredible guest experiences. And that side was really driven by some of my friends in industrial engineering. According to the literal handbook of IE, uh, industrial engineering is a profession concerned with the optimization of complex processes, systems, or organizations. As we primarily think through the lens of customer experience and employee experience on this show... What could be more complex than understanding what drives human behavior? Now, Brian's going to start our conversation off by explaining his take on IE and the role that it played at Disney. But I'll give you a couple of quick illustrations to showcase the role that industrial engineering can play in optimizing your customer or fan experience. Let's, uh, let's take a sit-down restaurant at Disney. Hypothetically, you might determine that the longer people sit in a restaurant the less time they're spending shopping or riding rides. Additionally, the longer that they sit in a restaurant, the lower number of potential diners that you can host per day and the less revenue that you can generate. So the strategy that might lead to the goal is to really decrease the amount of time that someone spends in a restaurant. Now, you don't want to rush people out because we want to deliver a positive customer experience. But if you can get food out faster if you can bust tables faster, if you can seat people faster, those are all ways to shorten the length of dining, decrease wait times, and remove customer friction. Nobody wants to wait. One tactic to do that might be to experiment with table arrangements. Sure, you want to maximize the number of people that you can sit in that restaurant, but an industrial engineer at Disney might also ask, how can we arrange the tables to make it easier for waiters and busboys to get through? If we can make their routes to the kitchen quicker, we can speed up the time that it takes to serve food, bus tables, and ultimately turn those tables. 
And of course, the industrial engineers are helping to assess if we turn X more tables in a day, we'll be able to serve Y more diners per day, and that'll net us Z in incremental, in incremental revenue. Now, your operation is probably way more complicated than a single sit-down restaurant. So I'm going to use one more example. Let's say that executives have determined that a great leading indicator of future revenue is the customer experience score that they get from surveys. For every percentage increase in the comprehensive customer service score, it should indicate that X amount of future dollars. Okay, so an IE somewhere at Disney is looking at these customer survey scores. Let's say they find that in order to really recommend Disney and return again and get that customer's experience scores to its highest levels, that individual guest needs to ride seven rides per day, let's call it. Here's where an industrial engineer really goes to work. In order to ride seven rides per day, what does the average wait time of a ride need to be? How might we speed up those lines? One lever she might pull to do that might be to decrease the loading time at a specific ride. Let's call it Space Mountain. If we speed up the average loading time from 59 seconds to 57 seconds, X amount more people can ride Space Mountain in that day. And if X amount more people ride Space Mountain in a day, the average rides per day increases for the average guest, leading to an increase in our net promoter score, ultimately increasing our projected future revenue. So industrial engineers are, are really figuring out that by loading guests two seconds faster into Space Mountain, Disney can make a million dollars more per day. Completely hypothetical answer, but that's ultimately what IEs are doing to help from a customer experience perspective. They're really trying to figure out what are the pain points? How do we reduce that friction, make guests happier so that ultimately we can generate more revenue? All right. Now that you've got a better idea of the importance of industrial engineers and guest experience, let's get back to Brian. In his last 10 years at Disney, Brian was an executive over a few different parts of Disney. Brian did everything from helping launch Disney's Cruise Line and Disney's Fast Pass to overseeing experience insights within My Magic Plus, which is Disney's mobile app and connected ecosystem. Throughout Brian's career, he's used analytics to optimize the guest experience, managing multi-billion dollar annual capital investments, including the development of new attractions and experiences. As part of his last role, he was the vice president of planning and development, and there, he was really part of the commercial team with oversight of long-term planning and revenue generation ide uh, initiatives and ideas. Check out his LinkedIn page for more info. He, he really just has too much of a prolific experience to share it all here. All right. So relevant to this conversation, two of the major projects Brian was involved in were in his later years. And, and we're going to get into those in the episode. For one... The project was really about using data and predictive analytics to proactively recover guest service opportunities in real time. So when a guest was upset, we don't have to wait for them to be upset in their customer survey. We can actually identify that they're upset and go solve that issue through data. Secondly, using the data gained from Disney's My Magic Plus, their app, the connected ecosystem... Uh, using that data to really create greater personalization for the guest. 
Brian's going to go into detail on how Disney used analytics to help equip frontline cast members with superpowers to deliver better guest experiences. Now, even if you don't have a billion dollar budget for customer experience, there are a ton of principles and takeaways from this conversation that you can apply to your own organization. Without further ado, let's welcome Brian Betts to our show. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, David. How are you? Thanks for having me. Doing well. Excited to rock out with you here uh, for the next hour or so. Um, Let's start here. Uh, Industrial engineering, as boring as it sounds to (laughs) the layman or uh, the average person in sports and entertainment, um, I, I know from my time at Disney, once I discovered what the industrial engineering team did and the role that they played in creating great guest experiences, my mind was blown. And, and my girlfriend always jokes with me that like, stop talking about industrial engineering. You should go back to school and do that if that's what you really love so much. So I'm excited to share with the rest of the group um, your background and expertise. But why don't we start there? What is industrial engineering and what role did it play in creating great guest experiences at Disney? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, IE or industrial engineering, it's, you know, really as a profession is about the optimization of processes, systems, and people. Uh, and so traditionally, you know, it's been focused on manufacturing. So, for example, I went to school at North Carolina State. While I was at school, I worked at the Caterpillar plant and I was helping optimize the manufacturing line for front end loaders. And so historically, that's where the profession was born out of was manufacturing. It's certainly grown into supply chain. But today, more and more, we see it focused in the service industry. So healthcare, hospitality, entertainment, you know, even sports. And, you know, what's interesting, it's instead of manufacturing where you're focused on widgets going down an assembly line and the optimization of that, you know, in an environment like Disney, we're dealing with people, with guests. And those guests, you know, are dynamic. You know, they make choices. You know, they have expectations. So a lot of what we were, you know, focused on was the understanding and the studying of guest behavior, you know, what they do, how they spend their time, and then figuring out ways to improve on that experience, you know, introducing new services, new innovations uh, that really help advance that guest experience. I love it. Um, so uh, one of my best friends at Disney, I don't know if you knew her. Do you, do you know Elizabeth Schweitzer? Do you know that name? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, she was so on my she, team for a while. So she was one of my best friends at Disney. And when she's, when, whenever we went to lunch, Dan Cockrell connected us and we'd go to lunch and I said, oh, what, are, what are you working on? And I talked to her about how we're helping different customer clients with customer service and stuff. And she's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on trying to find the, the, uh, the beer carton that fits into the most collapsible size so that it takes up less room in the trash can so that we have to change the trash cans less and we can save on labor from doing that. And I'm like, what? Right. Uh, so give, give us some more examples of some of the types of projects you guys worked on at Disney. You, you know, I was fortunate. I, I got involved with a lot of the large capital projects, you know, very early in my Disney career. So, you know, one of the first projects I worked on was the opening and creation of Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park. Uh, and then, you know, that led to the development 
um, some new businesses for us as well. So I got involved with the Disney Cruise Line, <clears throat> had a chance to spend some time in, in Italy in the shipyards. <clears throat> and then, you know, also as, as we continued to kind of expand our foot, footprint around the world, you know, I got heavily involved with the development of Shanghai Disneyland and probably some of the most recent, you know, kind of pieces were, um, you know, Star Wars Galaxy Edge, if you're familiar with that, at the Hollywood Studios and at Disneyland in, in California. So, you know, at a broad scale, it's really the development of these experiences from the ground up, um, you know, but it also includes services. So, you know, probably one of the more memorable projects for me was Disney's Fast Pass. So as I was first coming on board at Disney, we were introducing this whole concept of virtual queuing, which was new to the industry. Um, you know, we had known for a long time that, you know, lines and, and wait times were a big dissatisfier, a big barrier to visitation at Disney. And so worked on inventing a new way to uh, experience our attractions by, you know, coming to the attraction, pulling a ticket, you know, having this virtual wait, uh, able to do, you know, kind of whatever you want while you're on your virtual wait and then return to the attraction. So uh, that was one of the more memorable. And I, you know, FastPass stuck with me kind of throughout my career from, the early introduction, you know, kind of of, of the service and uh, initially all the way through kind of the digital, you know, transformation that, that came along with FastPass Plus and as the service evolved, you know, kind of through the years. Well, let's talk about FastPass then and virtual queuing and kind of this concept a little bit. Um, we'll go deeper into this later, I think. But specifically, I, I guess to help our audience understand the role that IE played, I mean, what role did you guys play in Fast pass. I mean, specifically, what were some of the strategies or tactics that you guys were implementing to make that process better? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it really begins with understanding the pain points and, you know, wait time is clearly a pain point, but that's something that, you know, the IE teams um, measure extensively in, in the parks and understanding that for each attraction. So, where are the opportunities to improve the experience? How, and how, how do they measure? I mean, you said they measure the kind of pain points and the, and the wait times. I mean, specifically, how how are they doing that in the parks? Yeah, absolutely. You know, historically, you know, it was very analog. You know, it was uh, as simple as, you know, I'll hand you a card, a guest, a card as they enter the line. And then the guest hands that to the cast member at the loading dock of the attraction. And were able to capture that time. So it was very manual kind of in the beginning, you know, through the years, obviously there's been new technology that's been introduced. So we went to more of an RFID card where you didn't have to write the wait times down. You just touch the card at the beginning of the attraction and then touch it again when you get to the loading dock. And, you know, most recently, you know, we've been able to uh, leverage more beacon type technology that can either read a, a magic band or a phone that, um, you know, it's more passive, you know, from a guest standpoint where they're not having to actually take a card and, and hand it to a cast member. So all of this data is collected on the attractions and uh, compiled, you know, in a, in a big database. And then we understand, you know, kind of the trends throughout the day, throughout the year, which attractions, you know, uh, are have the longest waits, have the biggest pain points and, and so forth kind of throughout the experience. So we knew that it was an opportunity for us. I mean, we had known that for years at Disney, but it was really around, you know, then how do we go about solving that or introducing a, a new service and a way to improve on that experience? What were some of the complications when you guys were implementing FastPass? I mean, what were some of the, the obstacles that you guys were kind of stuck on that you were trying to solve for initially? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously wait times as, as a whole you were trying to solve for, but knowing that that was the problem, how did you, you know, what did you guys kind of get stuck on as you were, as you were implementing the system? Yeah, you know, c- certainly it was complex in terms of the technology side of it. You know, when we were uh, developing the system, we were having to develop that with our technology teams from scratch. And so, um, you know, writing the algorithms, how to distribute, you know, kind of the capacity of the attractions, you know, was it uh, best to distribute that in, you know, uh, five minute increments, or do you give a guest an hour window to return? So a lot of the you know, um, configurable parts of the service was, uh, something we spent a lot of time trying to figure out and, you know, we had to do testing and so forth. But I I think for me, one of the more memorable parts was we, we finally started to introduce the service to our guests and, um, you know, it's, you know, if anyone's experienced fast pass, you know, certainly you could go wait in the traditional standby line, the first come first serve, it may be posted at a, you know, a 45 minute wait. And then FastPass provides the opportunity uh, for you to take this virtual wait. You pull a ticket and, and come back later. Um, and we would go to the queue and talk to the guest in the standby line and introduce this new service to them and say, you don't have to wait in this line. You can go over here, pull a ticket, go do whatever you want in the park, come back in about the same amount of time and get right to the front of the line with a minimal wait. And you wouldn't believe how challenging it was to convince these guests, you know, that this was a, a better service. You know, when you when you think about it now, you go, why? Of course, you know, everyone would take advantage of that. But, you know, at the time, you know, there was, you know, it's like, what's the catch? You know, there's got to be, you know, is this, is this, are you charging me for this? Is there, you know, uh, am I going to lose my place in line? You know, and so we, you know, really had a challenge actually convincing a lot of those first guests to take advantage of the, of the service. And, um, you know, and I think that comes along with anytime you're introducing something new that hasn't been done before, but uh, that stuck out for me as, is kind of, uh, you know, one of the bigger learnings of why it seems so intuitive, but, you know, you have to do a lot of work to kind of communicate and, and sometimes convince, you know, your, your guests that this is a better service. As, as, as I'm sitting here on mute, maybe that's the last time I, I go on mute here. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting how we think it's a good idea and guests are just so reluctant to change anything. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to that end, how much of your time as an IE or as a leader uh, at Disney did you spend working on numbers, working on spreadsheets, figuring out all the algorithms and whatnot versus actually talking to guests in the park about things. What was kind of that balance mix? Yeah, certainly, you know, I think in a lot of ways, IEs played an integrator role, you know, so there was a lot of, you know, data information that we would, you know, in the first person collect ourselves, but we also leveraged a lot of insight, whether it would be from our, uh, you know, guest satisfaction, consumer insight teams that were collecting surveys, uh, certainly financial and other data, you know, if we could integrate anything from a technology standpoint. Uh, But then we're really working hand in hand with the operator, you know, so we're kind of connected to the hip with the operator to understand, you know, what, what are the opportunities or pain points that, that they see? And then, you know, of course that leads to a direct connection with the guest. And so whether it's, you know, out in the parks, interacting with the guest and, and learning, you know, kind of more about their expectations and their experience, or again, through, you know, surveys or focus groups and verbatim. So just, the, you know, a lot of touch points. And then, 
you know, again, our role was not just to take a singular view, you know, kind of of that. It, it's to assimilate all that information into kind of a, a holistic perspective that, you know, leads to ultimately a, you know, a, a solution to a particular problem or, a, you know, a new service. Love it. So let's talk about maybe your favorite project that you worked on uh, from your time at Disney. I know, obviously, you had a lot of a lot of time to work on some cool projects. But if you had to think back on one that you you hold most dear, uh, what would that be and why? Yeah, it, it's probably an evolution of the fast pass conversation, you know, one from the initial introduction. But, you know, it really then took on a new life through the introduction of My Magic Plus. And My Magic Plus for Disney was really, you know, kind of a complete digital transformation back, you know, several years ago now. And, you know, through that, you know, we introduced an, an app, you know, where guests could start to engage with our, our parks uh, digitally, you know, that. Uh, we introduced uh, a wearable technology with the magic band. So, you know, that uh, certainly was a, a first of its kind and, and, and very memorable. Um, I mentioned the evolution of the fast pass service. So going from kind of the uh, traditional kind of um, analog based, you know, very physical run, run to an attraction, get a paper ticket to now I can make uh, the selection of my fast passes in advance, you know, via, you know, a mobile device and, and so forth. So uh, I think for me, you know, that's, that sticks out is still something from an industry standpoint and, uh, you know, uh, even beyond kind of the theme park industry, something that was first of its kind and, and really advanced, you know, the guest experience pretty significantly. Well, it's, it's one of those things too, that I think a lot of listeners might say something that is first of its kind, like fast pass or like uh, my magic plus, it takes a lot of capital investment to do something like that. And I'm just a sports team I, or I'm just a theater, right? I'm, I don't have the money to invest in something that is going to be groundbreaking like that. Um, so I guess when, when you think about customer experience, it's such a broad term overall. And what are, what are some of the, the best levers that you can pull to drive that, uh, that ROI, if you will, uh, around customer experience? What are some of the things that you feel like, especially might, might not cost a ton, uh, but are going to drive the most impact? Sure. Yeah. You know, we're in an interesting and, and really challenging time for, you know, a lot of our venues and a lot of our operators, you know, with the pandemic and, you know, many of which have, have had to close and, you know, those that are beginning to reopen are kind of rightly focused on the, on the safety of their employees and of, of their guests and, and so forth. But, you know, I also think it's been a, a time of uh, pause for a lot of these businesses and really an opportunity for, uh, I think the best organizations will emerge fr from this kind of stronger than they were going into it. And so as we think about, you know, the guest experience, you know, I, I, I'm really kind of looking at the conversion convergence of, um, two or three kind of opportunities and trends, you know, and I think one of those is just looking for friction, you know, in the guest experience. So what are those kind of uh, points of friction? As I said, pain points, you know, kind of throughout, uh, which kind of in a lot of cases leads to uh, some type of mobile or digital solution or service. So I, I think we're seeing, you know, kind of a lot of these new services introduced and the adoption rate of those from, from customers and guests kind of ramp up. And then that creates even more opportunities to deepen relationships with your guests and customers through personalization. 
And so I, I think, you know, those three aspects really all working, you know, to, together, uh, I feel like are some of the biggest opportunities, you know, kind of right now uh, in terms of advancing, you know, guest experience and again, taking this opportunity to pause. And, you know, we really try to take, you know, it, 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 an objective assessment, you know, kind of look at each of our businesses and try to do it through a, you know, what we would say a, a guest centric or customer centric view. And in a lot of cases, it it involves following the customer kind of through that end to end journey. And I, and I think that's something a lot of organizations can you know, take the time to do right now is to really reflect on, you know, kind of what are each of those touch points and then, you know, be looking for, you know, aspects that may be slowing down the, you know, forward momentum that a customer may be having through their experience. You know, what are, you know, what are the transactions that are occurring and are each of those transactions necessary? You know, are they really adding Mm. value to the customer? Is it just something that we as an organization may need from them? And is there a way to kind of reflect and and kind of change on that? So, you know, it's literally going through kind of a a step-by-step. And, you know, if you're a a, a sports venue or an entertainment venue, other things, you know, it may be, you know, the first step in a lot of cases might be your guests are arriving, your customers arriving, you know, in a car and, you know, there, there might be a, a parking, you know, kind of experience and they have to go to a parking deck or a lot and, they're paying for that. And so, you know, a reflection on, do we really need to charge for parking or can that be part of the broader ticket price in these examples? Or if it is a necessary revenue stream, is there a way to move the transaction aspect of that, that oftentimes becomes a bottleneck where you have a long line of cars with an attendant that's kind of, you know, taking cash and and other aspects. Can I, you know, move to a prepay model, which we're starting to see, you know, some of these venues and other aspects where, as a customer, you know, you start to set the expectation that you need to do a little bit more planning to kind of arrive. And when you do, your experience will be smoother, you know, once you're here. So really kind of offlining, if you will, some of those aspects so that it's uh, streamlined, you know, once they get into uh, get into the experience. Yeah, it's so it's so it's really interesting, right? We had Michael Jungin on, uh, I don't know, maybe earlier this year. Uh, and so we talked a lot about journey mapping and, sure. and this whole great. experience and something that we do with our clients, one of like our core thing, uh, one of our core practices that we do, um, especially around football, sports and entertainment. I'm curious from your end, looking at the the operation holistically, it's one thing to say, let's look at the, the journey, the customer journey for when they're going to a restaurant or going to a movie theater. I think it's totally different when you have a big sports and entertainment brand or a company like Disney, where there's so many different journeys, uh, even just in one visit. Uh, so, so how did you guys look at having the separate journeys, defining separate journeys and pulling that all together? You use the, use the parking example. And if I'm overseeing parking and I'm looking at the customer journey, I've, I'm seeing that in front of me, but the, the idea might never occur to me of, well, let's roll parking into a ticket price because that's sure. not in my wheelhouse. I'm focused on parking. Right. So how do you, how do you consolidate some of those journeys into an overarching view? Um, how did, how did you guys approach that at Disney? If that, if that question makes any sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And you're really touching on something we focused on a lot, which is you don't want your customers to have to figure out your org chart. 
And, you know, oftentimes when businesses look at optimization, they are looking more vertically within the businesses they own. So, you know, in your example, if it's parking or if I'm in ticketing and sales and those aspects, I may have optimized everything uh, that I foresee in, in my, you know, kind of sales organization or ticketing organization. But again, I'm not kind of following that horizontally as a guest, you know, through the experience. And so I, I think the first aspect of it is, you know, you really have to approach it as an integrated effort, you know, kind of bringing all of those stakeholders to the table of those, you know, different operating or, or functional areas. Uh, and then really kind of follow that, uh, that guest through kind of each of those uh, touch points. And you, you highlighted, you know, there are a lot of different scenarios or, you know, kind of situations from guests. Not every guest may be driving. Some may be taking mass transportation. Some may have, you know, flown to your destination, whatever it may be. There's, you know, a, a lot of different scenarios that you have to play out. But, you know, we do start to find kind of commonality, you know, and, and a lot of times it would be, you know, focusing on those components where, you know, a majority of your guests experience this touch point, you know, and kind of moving exceptions to the side, if you will, you know, they still, you'd still need to accommodate, you know, every situation, every guest, but, you know, really in terms of uh, major improvements to the experience, you know, kind of focus on those points that have that the most commonality. The other would be, you know, from my standpoint, I focus a lot on, on time and mm. how to be very respectful of your customer's time. And, you know, if you look at the time, we, you know, we use the fast pass example of waiting in line for attractions, but, you know, where are you, you know, kind of forcing in a lot of ways your, your customers to wait? And then what's the payoff or the value associated with that? You know, and, uh, you know, if I'm having to wait, you know, 15, 20 minutes just to get into the parking lot and then, you know, I'm at your turnstiles, your gate and I'm waiting, you know, a, a longer period of time, you know, from a customer standpoint, oftentimes uh, they're less forgiving and less understanding, you know, kind of of those moments versus, you know, if you're going to ride Space Mountain and I had to wait, you know, 30, 45 minutes, I didn't want to wait 30 or 45 minutes, but at least I got to ride Space Mountain and that was kind of a, a big payoff and, and, yeah. and an exciting component. So I, I think, you know, in terms of finding those those opportunities, it's, it's being respectful of, of your customer's time um, and really trying to eliminate or streamline, you know, kind of any of those points that may be, you know, again, delaying that, that forward momentum as, as they go through. Let me ask this question and just from a, from an actual tactic standpoint, if I'm listening to this, this podcast and I've got, you know, I've got 250, 400 people in my organization and, and we're all working in our silos in our areas from a, from a, a, a strategies and tactics perspective, do you feel like it's best to start with, Hey, let's all start coming together for uh, all the heads of the departments for a once a month meeting, or is it better to say, let's create a SWAT team that's going to go meet with these different heads and collect information. Is that, is that, is it better almost the push or the pull method to start yeah. to look at the whole holistic journey? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say it's a both and in some way. So I guess it's a question of really which one comes first and, you know, the leaders of each of those organizations, you know, oftentimes would benefit maybe, you know, with 
some insight or a starting place, you know, from that. So, you know, if you could, you know, charge or, you know, champion a group that, you know, as a SWAT team or something, they could go away and, and start to compile, you know, a little bit of this information, you know, really highlight, you know, those, those pain points from that customer centric view, and then bring that back to a forum or a leadership group, you know, that would have ownership of those different pieces, it may begin to illuminate, you know, kind of aspects they weren't aware of, or, you know, we've been so focused on this area of the business because that was, you know, kind of right in front of us in our face. But when we start to look at this information, there's a much bigger pain point upstream and we need to be kind of addressing our attention, uh, you know, at, at that pain point, you know, at this point in time, you know, that will allow everything kind of downstream to, to flow more smoothly. Got it. It's, it's great advice. Um, well, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I want to kind of move into this concept of service recovery. And we've talked about friction a lot and identifying customer pain points. I think when when groups bigger than 250 customers start coming together for a live events, there's going to be a lot of friction that we never had before with new COVID policies and whatnot. Sure. We've got uh, football here should be opening, hopefully, fingers crossed, sometime yeah. soon in the fall. Um, so I, I want to talk about the role that technology at Disney played in revamping our service model and guest service recovery, if you will. When something goes wrong, how do we fix it? I know that you and your team played a really big role in revamping that whole process and what that looked like. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, most organizations have some way to measure their customer satisfaction. You know, and traditionally it may be some sort of survey, whether it was written or now, you know, emailed or something that we all receive after we've completed an experience. And, you know, there's a certain number of customers that will fill that out and and return it. And um, that's very valuable data and insights, you know, to the operation, you know, they can use that, that data and insights to improve the experience going forward, you know, uh, almost as a report card, what did we get right? You know, where, where are the opportunities or, you know, how do I design maybe a, a facility or experience differently going forward with this feedback that I received from, from my customers. The challenge I think with that is, uh, it doesn't address the opportunity with that customer that actually provided you the feedback. So they may have been dissatisfied with an element of your experience, but they're already gone. They're already home. They, you know, very likely have shared their experience with their friends and families that, you know, wouldn't reflect favorably on on your particular operation. Uh, so, you know, we really focused on kind of shifting, you know, that that paradigm a bit. And, you know, really getting into more of a, a proactive uh, guest recovery. And, you know, Disney is really renowned for this. I mean, you know, uh, they really empower their, their cast members, their employees to uh, address opportunities that may have popped up with the guests. Probably uh, maybe some of the most common examples that people have heard of, uh, you know, I call it kind of the, the drop your ice cream moment. But, you know, if a cast member is in the park and, uh, you know, they, they, they see, a, you know, a five-year-old just got an ice cream cone. They're all excited. It's two scoops and the top scoop falls off and is melting right in front of them. And, and, you know, they just lose it. And of course, mom and dad are scrambling and going to get more, but, you know, our, our cast members are empowered in a way that if they see that moment, you know, they see a, a dropped ice cream, a spilled popcorn, you know, they, uh, immediately take action. They go to the kind of nearest, you know, 
uh, card or stand and they replenish that, you know, kind of free of charge to, to the guest and, you know, totally turns that situation around. And so I, I think empowering your, your cast in a way to uh, address those opportunities is, is, you know, kind of um, something that should be front of mind for everyone. And, and I think systematically, right, it's, it's easy to say that in theory, but there was a very, very intentional process behind the scenes that allowed cast, frontline cast members to do that, right? I think about no strings attached, the actual paper form that you would sure. fill out that it, frontline cast members had in their pocket and were empowered to go to go uh, create an experience like that where someone drops their ice cream cone, they go get yeah. it replaced and that gets tracked. Um, but, but how did you guys use technology to alter that process or adapt that process or evolve that? If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, as you're starting to introduce more of these digital and mobile tools, you know, so with my magic plus, you know, we had the, my Disney experience app, you started to do, you know, electronic tickets or the selection of your fast passes or mobile food and beverage ordering, or, you know, it, it served as your, you know, uh, room key to get into your hotel room. So, you know, it's this invaluable service that you've created. Uh, but, while guests are starting to use that service, they're still having a lot of these drop your ice cream moments. You know, there's still a lot of these kind of hiccups that are occurring. The difference is in kind of the digital world, now there's not anyone there to witness it. You know, there's not an employee or a cast member there that can notice that situation and then proactively kind of rectify it. So it really does bring you know to light some new challenges because you know all of those moments start to stack up you know for your customer to the to the point that they you know leave largely dissatisfied with your experience so uh while it's a big challenge it's also a, a huge opportunity because in the technology space of course a lot of those interactions you know that are occurring digitally are leaving you know footprints and data behind and so, you know, we really kind of took on that challenge after we launched My Magic Plus to say, yes, we've introduced a lot of tools that are making the guest experience in totality better, but we have also introduced some new complexities or opportunities where guests can kind of stub their toe as, as they're going through this experience. And so uh, we put together a, a team that was focused on compiling, you know, all of that data and starting to analyze that in a way that allowed us to set up a service to start proactively recovering those guest situations. So we created something called the Guest Experience Center. And the Guest Experience Center was a, a team of cast members whose role and responsibility was uh, finding all of these moments where we failed to meet a guest expectation through all of those technology touch points and proactively reach out to them and get them back on track while they're still there in the experience, not after they've gone mm -hmm. home, not after they've been disappointed. And so that was really for us, the transformational view on customer experience was not just reacting to what was in front of you or reacting after the fact, but reacting in the moment while you can still course correct for that particular guest. Can you give us an example of how that might play out like a, a real life scenario? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we were fortunate that we had a lot of different what we would call signals or touch points, you know, data that was coming in from the use of, you know, the, the app and the magic bands and, you know, reservation systems and a lot of other pieces. And so we compiled all that data and information and we would look for kind of those maybe delays or opportunities. So an example would be uh, a family may be entering the park this morning and they thought they had all of their tickets squared away. They had, you know, uh, four tickets and they thought they had assigned them to, you know, kind of all members mm-hmm. of the, the family, but they got to the gate. And when dad linked his tickets, he put them all under his account and didn't connect them to any of the other members of the family. So the family ends up spending 20, 30 minutes as their first interaction, trying to get into the park, fixing, you know, kind of that very simple and easy to do, you know, kind of mistake that was made in terms of linking tickets. And so, of course, the cast member, you know, that is is there serving the guest helps resolve the issue, gets them on their way. But they've just lost, you know, 30 minutes at the very start of their day when they're highly, you know, anticipating. And so uh, this guest experience center team was set up such that they would reach out to that guest and open-ended, you know, uh, ask how their day was going, ask if they had any trouble getting into the park. And a lot of, a lot of times knowing full well that they had this issue and that it occurred at a particular time and, you know, that they were delayed by this amount of time, uh, but open this conversation with the guest. And of course, then the guest says, well, we actually had this issue and this was going on. And so that cast member is then in a position to, you know, first and foremost, apologize for the delay. Like, uh, we're sorry your day started that in a way. Uh, they would take a proactive step to say, we've looked at the rest of your account. Everything is set up correctly. You, we don't anticipate you're going to have any other trouble, you know, kind of along the way. And then depending on the severity of, of the particular, you know, kind of guest, guest service disruption, um, they may offer some type of recovery device. So in this case, they may tell the guest, well, I know we cost you 30 minutes on your way into the park. I've added fast passes to your account. You mm-hmm. guys can all go ride, you know, uh, Soren, you know, uh, you know, today without waiting to get a little bit of that time back. And so what we started to see in terms of response from the guest is, you know, they were just, you know, I think blown away by the fact that Disney cared so much that they wouldn't let this moment, you know, kind of pass that they would proactively before, you know, that guest or family had a chance to, you know, write a letter or email to complain or go to town hall to visit guest relations. You know, we proactively recognize that and cared enough to reach out to them to kind of, course correct the situation and what was always amazing about that is you know of course if you know guests come in and and their experience goes smoothly you know they don't have any interruptions traditionally they're going to rate your your parks in terms of guest satisfaction very high you know these guests that would come in and have you know these disruptions in their in their service in terms of these hiccups of course you know they're going to rate you lower as a result but these guests that we recognize that occurred and we intercepted them during the experience and got them back on track not only did they rate back to where the guests were that didn't have any issues but in most cases they actually rated us higher than if they had never had any issues to begin with and it just kind of speaks to the the power of you know uh, you know that that care that you put forth to your your customers and you know kind of that trust and, and that bond that you're building with them yeah I, I mean to that point 
I think a lot of organizations underestimate the power of service recovery and the ability to connect with customers emotionally, right? When you can, when expectations are low, something bad happened, right? Most organizations don't expect that recovery. So when you're able to do it, you now exceeded expectations. And so anytime you can create an opportunity where you can go create or exceed expectations, you're going to build up that loyalty. Right. Um, I, I do, I do have a technical question. So sure. how, how two technical questions, one, uh, in that example with the families getting caught up on tickets, because I think this happens at sports venues all the time. Um, how did they? How did your team know that they had the issues? Could they just see that they were fuddling around on the app for thirty minutes, or uh, how, how did they know? Well, that's my first question. Yeah. Well, oftentimes, you know, the guests didn't know that they had maybe set things up incorrectly until they actually got to the gate. Right. So the, the guest is at the gate and then that's where the delay occurs. And so at that point in time, the cast member in front of them resolves it. But then we, from the back end on a data standpoint, you can, you have a trail of all of that and how it occurred. And there start to be some common themes. So, you know, that stacking of tickets was a very common theme. It was a common mistake. And so, you know, we would look for the fact that, yep, there were four tickets associated just with dad and they weren't spread through the entire family. And, and so we were able to, you know, one, understand that. And then you, you do start to see these common issues kind of bubble to the top, which then leads to another opportunity, which is if we keep creating kind of these same, you know, kind of, you know, speed, speed bumps in the experience, you know, what are we going to do to eliminate those, those speed bumps? And so that kind of got into a whole different effort where it's how do we uh, change the way the technology is, is set up, make it more user friendly and those aspects. Communi- uh, change communication points, absolutely. whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. No. that's great. Um, okay. Well, let, let's, let's move on to kind of this next area of personalization, right? I think what we're getting into with a lot of the data and analytics is that it allows, once you have that information, it allows you to create those, a much more personalized experience. And I think over the last five or 10 years or so, right? Personalization has really been one of the biggest buzzwords, um, in customer experience. Sure. Uh, so how did you guys use the, the advanced analytics to create a more personalized experience at Disney? Right. Yeah, it really builds on kind of the prior conversation we were talking about in terms of being able to stitch together all of these moments and these touch points that we have with our, our guests and customers. And so, you know, if you think about it, the, that family that was entering the park, certainly they interacted with one cast member and, you know, uh, that cast member resolved their issue, then they were on their way. But they may have had two or three other issues throughout their day and throughout their visit. You know, they may have got in line for Space Mountain and Space Mountain said it was going to be a 30 minute wait, but it was uh, over an hour, you know, and so they were disappointed by that. And they may have had a dinner reservation and they showed up and their table wasn't ready or whatever all of those moments are. And what we were able to do was start to connect the dots and connect all of those moments Uh you know, around the guests throughout, you know, kind of their experience because all of those, you know, digital footprints, again, that, that they were leaving uh, throughout. And so it provided us kind of this broader view of, of their collective experience. Uh, so much so we were starting to get more into kind of this predictive analytics where, you know, we were compiling all this and we we created almost like um, we called it the experience index. I, I often thought about it as like a happiness index, you know, like this happy score. You know, if you could imagine a, 
a bubble over every one of your guests head, you know, is it a smiley face or, a, you know, a frown, you know, kind of at this point in time. And so the ability to kind of use all of this data and information to do that predictive analytic uh, then allows you, you know, uh, to to have this broader view of their experience that gets into recovery, but also, you know, really empowers the overall goal of deepening the relationship with your guest. You know, in most cases, and in, in really in a lot of businesses, I mean, uh, most of your guests and customers are returning customers, you know, or mm-hmm. customers that they're not returning this time, you hope that they return and, and repeat, you know, kind of in the future. So you're trying to develop, you know, kind of a, a deeper relationship, you know, with those guests. And, you know, a lot of that starts with, you know, caring, you know, as much as, as, as much as you can about them. It, it starts with kind of building trust, you know, with that, you know, customer. And in a lot of ways, we focus from a personalization on, you know, recognizing the, the relationship with the guest, you know, as this guest is not maybe visiting us for the first time, you know, they have a, a particular affiliation with us, you know, whether they're a, you know, annual pass holder or Disney Vacation Club member, or in the case of, you know, sports, if they're a club member or, uh, you know, a, even just being an alumni, um, you know, the customers, you know, they have a relationship with the, with the brand, with the company. I mean, they may not have a relationship with every individual, you know, employee that they interact with, but what we tried to focus on in terms of the analytics and the ability that we had was we wanted to provide those employees with superpowers. You know, I saw my job as harnessing all of this great data and information to provide it to our cast members, to give them superpowers that they wouldn't have otherwise had to be able to serve that guest better and deepen that relationship. And so that may look like, you know, uh, any place that you have this interaction with the guest, you know, there's some dwell time that's more than just a hello as they're passing by, Um, you know, we would try to arm our cast members with, some of these nuggets of information that would help them, you know, as conversation starters or deepen the relationship with the guest. And so it may be simply you're checking into your hotel and it's a welcome back and thank you for being a vacation club member, or it might be, I'm at a restaurant and you're celebrating your birthday and you didn't tell me it was your birthday. And I recognize that it was your birthday and I delivered a, you know, a, a dessert, you know, just, just for you and recognition of that and those type of moments. So, how do I take all of this you know, rich information that we have and this deep, you know, relationship with our guests in terms of connecting the dots and get it to, you know, kind of our greatest assets, which are cast members that can really bring that, that service to life, bring that magic to life and arm them with these superpowers that, that deepens that relationship. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? I, I think a lot of us are really familiar at this point with getting served really hyper specific ads on Instagram or Facebook based on things we've talked about or that we've websites we've visited, right. And getting retargeted. I think we've become used to that from a consumer perspective, getting served those ads. But I think, I think about what you guys were doing around taking that data and not just using it to retarget from an ad perspective, but to actually create new services for the guest and create new experiences for the guest. It's a little bit different way of using that same data and using it in the same way, but 
you're, you're creating something that to me feels a lot better than trying to get them to spend more money. Right. Yeah. And I mean, absolutely. And, you know, speaking to that point, I, I think you're kind of touching on CRM and a lot of the, you know, critical marketing work that, that takes place around really knowing your consumers and then being able to target, you know, offers and, and promotions and so forth to them. And I, obviously, I'm a, a big believer in that. And, you know, that's critical to, um, you know, success in a lot of ways from a business. But we were very protective of the guest when they were in the experience, you know, we didn't want our guests to be spammed, if you will, with all of these offers and emails when they're trying to actually enjoy the experience. And so the the CRM and the marketing aspects are are great in terms of, you know, generating that interest, you know, helping with the conversion, you know, the acquisition of of your customers. But, you know, we really viewed our role in, in terms of the guest experience as, you know, this is precious. We want to protect it, you know, kind of from that and do it in an authentic way. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times when we're talking about all of this data, there's, you know, sometimes uh, a concern bubbles up around privacy and, uh, and those aspects. And, you know, for us, that was really a, a, a critical um, guiding principle that we had around trust. And, you know, Disney as a company, as a brand, is a very trusted brand. And we really viewed our role in that as, we didn't just want to do no harm, you know, to trust, like we wanted to use the power of this information that we had to actually build on the trust that we had with our consumers, you know, and our guests. And so using it in a way that they knew what information we had, that we were using it in a way that was to their benefit, you know, not to Mm -hmm. our benefit. I mean, certainly we recognize that the more good we do for our guests and the happier they are, the better experience, it's going to lead to, you know, higher repeat, higher revenue, those aspects. But, you know, our focus really was on that, on those guests and how do we continue to build on, on the trust, you know, that, that we have with them in a way that then starts to, um, you know, open up doors and avenues to provide more, recommendations and we got into you know kind of from a deeper personalization you know the first step was the the recognize you know recognize the relationship and the history and connecting the dots the next really piece we focused on was was recommendations and Mm. doing it in a way again that was you know very authentic and you know, I, we all have friends and family that that go to, you know, Disney parks. And, you know, if you've ever worked at Disney, you find that you end up being, you know, a lot of times their travel agent and tour guide and and everything else. And, you know, I would always put myself in, in shoes of being in the parks with my family and, what would I have recommended to them, you know, and uh, certainly it might be, you know, don't miss this attraction because it's great. and A lot of guests overlook it, or this is an excellent show. But I would also say, Hey, after dinner, run over to Japan and Epcot and pick up the Kakigori. It's the best shaved ice you've ever had. It's a great dessert. And certainly it's a revenue generation opportunity, but it's an authentic, you know, kind of recommendation that comes from, you know, I think this is something that, you know, this, this guest and family will enjoy. And so, you know, we created these um, recommend, you know, recommendations. We started doing it with our concierge guest and we would do it, uh, you know, kind of a, a day in advance. So, uh, we experimented with different things, but we ultimately kind of left kind of this uh, personalized guide on their pillow every night with their turndown service. 
And so, so cool. the guests would come in and they would already have some of the plans that they had made. You know, if they had selected fast passes and had dinner reservations and other things, that would be highlighted in the itinerary. But then in these open time slots, we would insert some recommendations, you know, again, maybe particular attractions to see or, you know, uh, don't miss this specialty cocktail when you go by this location. You know, it, it could be any number of things. Uh, but because it came from kind of that sincere and authentic place, we saw that most of the guests embraced those recommendations and were, you know, followed them. And then they would they would come back to the concierge and say, that was amazing. Tell us what we can do tomorrow, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, we we're. I think you see an evolution of that, you know, as you're building on that trust and relationship with guests to certainly it could be delivered through, you know, this turndown service or, you know, you'll see more and more, you know, kind of servicing in more of a maybe digital or electronic format where you've got, you know, kind of this uh, guide in the palm of your hand, you know, from a, you know, a smartphone and, and yeah. so forth. But the evolution of that and really building on personalization from, you know, that recognize to more of the recommend. And that's where you get into you know, that revenue generation and some of the aspects that do have a really healthy return on investment. I mean, awesome. Now I'm curious to see if there are more superpowers, right? So I think as you guys were looking, looking at the analytics, it's like, first, how can we equip our people to better recognize the, the relationship that we have with this customer? Are they a 30 year donor? Is it their first time? How do we treat them differently based on that? Second thing is based on, on who they are, what their family makeup is, how many times they've been here, what kind of recommendations can we provide? Was there another layer that came after that of additional things that you guys worked on? Yeah. Or, or are those two things <laughs> enough to sufficient superpowers? Yeah, well, th- I mean, those are certainly the uh, majority of it, I would say. But there was kind of, I would say, the, the tip of the pyramid. And uh, these would be experiences that you can't offer to every guest every day or every time they show up. But it was really those wow moments that we had the ability to curate because we had that deep relationship and understanding of our guest. And so, you know, an example of this would be, you know, we may be able to deduce that a guest is a big fan of Star Wars and in particular, Darth Vader. You know, they um, maybe we see that their avatar and their app is Darth Vader and that they've ridden, you know, kind of uh, the Star Wars attractions multiple times. Maybe we even know they bought a lightsaber or some merchandise, you know, all of this, these again, signals that start to on the back end because we can stitch that together start to indicate that this guest has a particular affinity uh, for a particular character, a particular experience, and so forth. So if you're armed with that information, you know, and you're trying to create these memorable and magical moments, you know, what then would you do with it? And so, you know, kind of the ultimate superpower I think that we had was, you know, connecting guests with these these stories and these characters that they love the most. And so, you know, what that may look like is, you know, this guest that's a huge, you know, Star Wars and Darth Vader fan may receive a text or an email that says, tomorrow when you're at the Hollywood studios, show up, you know, at, you know, this location at, you know, 1 p.m. And they show up at 1 p.m. with, you know, no, no knowledge of what's going on and everything else. When they show up there, the, you know, Star Wars Brigade and the Stormtrooper Brigade is about to march down the street. And they're given the opportunity to walk with Darth Vader, you know, kind of down this, this parade and this, you know, 
uh, route. And, you know, of course the guests now you've, you know, something that they love and that they cherish so much, you've made this connection with them in a way that, you know, they're going to be going to be fans of yours for life. You know, at that point in time, you you've created such a connection, this emotional, you know, kind of experience that, you know, sure. You could have picked a, a, a kid out of the crowd, a guest out of the crowd and had them walk. And it would have been a special moment for them, but if you can find the, you know, the the guest, the child that is a huge fan of Darth Vader and then connect those two, that's when we saw, you know, kind of these superpowers, you know, just just, just really knock it out of the park in, in terms of our guests and the experience they have. And that ultimate, you know, kind of, again, they're, they're going to be loyal for life. You know, after that point, you're going to have so much equity build up with them, you know, that uh, you'll see them again and again throughout the years. Now, with that becomes challenges, right? Because now you've just set this expectation yeah. and you've raised the bar and, you know, and that's, that's kind of the fun and the challenge of, of this world is, you, you know, not every guest, not every visitor are going to get maybe that experience, but if you can have some of those, you know, milestone moments, those, you know, kind of, uh, the, the standout memories, you know, again, you, you can build on that over time with, with your customers and your guests. I, I think that is something that hopefully everybody listening to this realizes is that it's, it's kind of the paradox with customer experience. The better you get, the more people expect from you. And that's why it's just this never ending continuous improvement cycle where you've got to constantly be looking at what's our friction. How can we create more moments that matter? And we just got to keep working at it and keep getting better because our customers, every time they come expect another level up. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, well, I, w- I want to get into. I mean, I have five hundred other questions. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll uh, let, let me go down one because I think is important. Maybe we can answer it briefly, even though we could do a whole podcast episode on this. When you guys decided to invest in technology like this, or invest in bigger capital decisions uh, to allow some of these things to happen the the ROI or the IRR might not have come immediately. So, how did you guys go about? deciding whether or not to invest in some of these bigger projects. Yeah. Again, we could do a whole podcast episode right. on that. But. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, certainly there was, you know, pen to paper in, in terms of, you know, a performa and an ROI and those pieces. But I would say for some of these really large, like my magic plus and others, it was almost seen as more of an, you know, existential threat. You know, if we don't do this, you know, are we going to become the next, you know, Kodak, you know, Xerox, Blockbuster, you name it, where, you know, customer and consumer expectations are advancing, you know, kind of so far, you know, beyond this analog and and physical world that we had created in the parks that if we don't start embracing, you know, kind of this digital transformation, the introduction of these new tools and so forth, we really run the risk of becoming obsolete in some ways. And we, we really viewed it, you know, as, as that serious of a threat over the long term, not, not in a year, not in two years, but if, if we didn't start to lay the foundation for that and go through that transformation, you know, we, we felt like our, you know, our business was at that big of a risk. So I, I think once you buy into that, you know, then certainly justifying, you know, where we're going to be able to generate more visitation or higher guest satisfaction or revenue generation. I mean, all, all that, you know, are, are important components of it, but I would say the biggest driver and certainly reason we tackled such a large investment was, you know, that the feeling that it was such a big threat to the business over the long term. 
I love it. And I love that. I think it's refreshing, hopefully for everybody listening, that that is how senior leaders at Disney are constantly thinking about it at Disney. Right. And so I, th- I think a lot of people and a lot of senior leaders in sports and entertainment, unfortunately, have this thought process around, well, we've seen this hockey stick growth. We're on top of the world. Why, everything's working great. Why do we need to change or alter or evolve? And if Disney's constantly thinking of there's always existential threats out there, our business could change and and be uh, seen as obsolete in a couple of years. If Disney's thinking like that, you better be thinking like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's, so what's next after personalization? I mean, I I think that has really, again, been the, you know, last five, 10 years, that has been the thing. I mean, what, as you look out to the future and you look at the, the coming themes and customer experience, what do you see coming down the pipe that maybe a couple organizations are starting to look into, um, of, uh, in terms of theme, future themes or trends within customer experience, what are what are you excited about, or what are you seeing coming? Yeah, I, I think you're right that personalization has been talked about for five years or or even more. Uh, I don't know that I would say I, I've seen you know kind of the Great point. activation <laughs> or implementation of that you know at, at this point. So I I still honestly believe we're at the tip of the iceberg you know when it comes to personalization. You know I think even within Disney is is kind of world class and as far advanced as they are and, and some of the you know pieces we talked about. You know there there's still many more you know kind of opportunities out there in personalization. But I I do think it will continue to be accelerated by a lot of the, the things we talked in terms of uh, further introduction of a lot of these mobile and digital tools. So I, you know, certainly that, that wave is, is started, but I think it's only going to continue. I, I think when you look at technologies like, you know, 5G or other aspects that makes, you know, kind of being uh, constantly connected, you know, kind of more, more prevalent. And I think I would probably summarize it as that. I would summarize it as the biggest trend is going to be kind of the continued kind of proliferation of the connected you know, customer or connect consumer, you know, that they're going to have, you know, this access and, and all of this, you know, kind of information in the palm of their hand, you know, from a transparency standpoint, I mean, they're going to have, in a lot of cases, as much knowledge or even more knowledge, you know, than a lot of your operators and, and teams, you know, kind of through that. So I think the ability to, you know, one, provide the tools and services, but then, you know, recognize that th- this customer is going to be very informed and they're going to have, you know, to our conversation, very high expectations, you know, in terms of uh, the experience or know, you know, what what other customers have been through and ha- have the same expectations for themselves. Uh, so I, I certainly think those are probably trends that will continue. I mean, you hear a lot of buzz, especially in some of my worlds around, you know, things like uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and those pieces. And, and to me, that's just an extension of a lot of, you know, the, this digitization, you know, of the experience is you start to generate a lot more data, a lot more touch points. And so then in turn, you know, how are you going to make sense of all of that? And I think that's where some of the artificial intelligence and other pieces and that even when I was talking about things like the happiness index or other things, you know, uh, you know, some of the aspects that we thought would have been big drivers of the guest experience didn't always rise to the top, but, you know, running through some of these machine learning models and other things, it it would bring forward, you know, kind of a component like, you know, if we didn't seat you within 10 minutes of arriving for your dinner reservation, you know, it was a huge downer on your experience. Mm -hmm. You're like, 
wow, of all the things that were out there that were, you know, really going to throw you off track, that's the thing that you're upset about. But, you know, that's kind of what the data and, and, and the access of some of this. So I, I think, you know, the ability to, you know, harness and, and convert a lot of that data into insights that are, you know, both actionable. I mean, we talk a lot in the analytics space of going from kind of that descriptive of describing, you know, kind of what happened and the taking action and to the predictive, like we talked about, to, you know, kind of the ultimate step is more prescriptive in terms of, you know, uh, I can anticipate what's going to happen. And now I'm going to, again, arm, whether it's your you know, employees, cast members, whatever it may be, with what to do, you know, to either avoid it or to rectify it and so forth. So I think you're going to continue to see kind of this push and evolution in that, you know, personalization, connected consumer, digitization, you know, those pieces. And those, I mean, th- these are going to be journeys that all of us, I mean, all organizations are going to be on for, you know, years, you know, years to come. Yeah. Uh, based on the way you just described it, I, I concur. We are early in the personalization uh, journey, if you will. We've still got a long way to go, especially from a mainstream perspective. Um, well, let's close up here. We've got a couple more questions. Uh, I, I'm curious, over the course of the pandemic, has there has there been anything that has that you've noticed that's really surprised you, especially in the world of customer experience? <laughs> well, I, mean, I think the pandemic has been surprising in and of it. it I think it surprised everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, and the impact it's had to business. I mean, I, I think in all of the planning I've ever done in all my years, I mean, you know, we plan for different business, you know, disruptions, but never, you know, that we would be closed, you know, for months on end or to be missing complete seasons. So, I mean, you know, just unprecedented in terms of that. So I, I think in totality, that's, that's probably been the, uh, the biggest surprise, you know, overall, I, I do think, um, you, you know, we're going to see, and there's still, you know, a lot to be learned coming out of this in terms of how, you know, consumer expectations continue to evolve. I, I do think for a lot of, uh, individuals, you know, it, it's been an opportunity to, you know, reconnect, you know, kind of reground in terms of what's important in terms of, you know, their, their families, the, the time that they spend, you know, kind of with their friends when, you know, some of that's taken away from you when you can't go and see, you know, that the grandparents or, you know, visit with your friends and these pieces, I, I, you know, do think and, and actually hope, you know, that it will be a recentering in a lot of ways for uh, consumers. And so, you know, how does that translate then into their expectations from experiences as they start to kind of re-engage, you know, kind of out in the world? And I, I think those are the aspects I'm looking for most. And certainly, you know, at the heart of when we're talking about customer experience expectations and, you know, uh, really caring about me and, and recognizing, you know, valuing my time that, you know, I think there's a greater appreciation of, you know, uh, don't take these things for granted because, you know, obviously now we, we see they can be taken away so, so quickly. And so, you know, how do we make the most of that? And I think that's going to be all of our responsibilities as, as operators to, uh, you know, make the most of that for, for guests as they start to return to our businesses. Yeah, it is going to be really interesting. I mean, I think about my own experience as a consumer, and obviously I'm consuming much less now, uh, especially in-person types of experiences. And so when I do go out to, whether it be going out to eat on a patio somewhere or something of that nature, I mean, I expect a lot more because I'm like, hey, this is a rare thing. You're getting my money and nobody else is. Uh, So you better treat me well and make sure this is all from a safety perspective, but also from a courtesy perspective and et cetera. when, when's the last time you changed your mind about something that you pretty firmly believed in? 
constantly, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I guess as an IE, that's true. You're constantly yeah, looking I mean, for, are, for new things. Our change agents and, and, you know, I, I think look, big, big believer of, you know, experimentation, you know, and piloting and, you know, and almost all of these services we talked about today, you know, there, there were many steps along the way. I mean, you know, um, go back to kind of the service recovery, the happiness, you know, kind of uh, indexes, you know, at first we started looking at, uh, we were trying to predict, predict which guests were falling just below an excellent experience. You know, they were having a good experience, but not a great experience, you know, when they were with us. And we thought, okay, if we can identify those guests, they should be the easiest ones to move from good to great, good to excellent, you know, kind of in that. So let, let's go target them. So we put a big effort, you know, we did a lot of great, you know, analytical work. We started engaging with these guests and we contacted them and we said, how's your day going? And they're like, that's eh, fine. You know, it's good. You know, they, they didn't have any of these moments where, you know, kind of the experience really fell apart. So they couldn't articulate, you know, kind of why they weren't having an excellent experience. And it made us harder for us to kind of, you know, react to that. So we, you know, kind of recalibrated and, and really started to refocus on kind of the bottom end of the scale, you know, the guests were having kind of a poor experience or just an okay experience and, uh, you know, predicting that. And then, you know, you reach out to those guests, you go, how's it going? And they're going horrible, you know, like this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. So once we were able to kind of, uh, you know, key on onto that, we were able to kind of move the needle a lot more in, in terms of improvement of guest satisfaction. So I, I would say, you know, to your original question, almost everything, I mean, you start down a, a path and you just have to be kind of flexible and, uh, you know, do that experimentation and be willing to kind of change course and, and be nimble, you know, kind of in, in that sense. Yeah, I, I think what's what's interesting from a mindset perspective is I think if as operators or as business leaders, we can change our mindset from being ego driven and territorial driven. And I've done this for years. So I know my business to being more like a scientist where you're experimenting and you've got a yeah. hypothesis and you're actually running through the scientific method on things, testing right. things out. We're going to deliver a hell of a lot better experience for our customers. We're going to earn more money and you're, you're going to get promoted, right? I mean, that, that is your business is going to succeed. You're going to make more right. money. I think that is a much more beneficial way. And it's one of the things I learned from working with people like you at, at, at Disney. Absolutely agreed. <laughs> well, Brian, where can people reach you if they want to follow along the journey um, or if they've got questions, follow up things, uh, what's, what's the best way for, for people to, to follow along? Yeah. You know, these days I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, independent consulting and advising, you know, with companies helping develop these new, you know, uh, whether it's physical assets and, and locations or new services and so forth. So I'm, I'm active on, on LinkedIn. You can certainly, you know, find me, uh, find me there, but you know, if there's anything that I can do to help advance, you know, kind of your business or just share some of my experience and insights, you know, I'm happy to do it at any time. Beautiful. Um, active on Twitter or anything else? Uh, not as active on Twitter. Yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best place to, uh, to find me. Fair enough. All right, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. We, we could have gone for another hour. We might have to do a part two sometime. Nah, my pleasure. No, thanks. Thanks again for, uh, for having me and David, I appreciate it. Hope to do it again soon. For, before we close it, any final uh, words of advice to anybody listening? No, just be safe. Go out there and be great. You know, create great customer experiences. So I hope everyone stays safe and, uh, you know, go, go make magic. You know, the world needs more of it right now. Beautiful. Brian, thanks again. Thanks, David. Take care.
Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.